We are told you shall not commit adultery. And then Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out. Throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, will you help us in these, in these very few moments as we move toward the table that you have set for us? You set this table on the cross. You set it in your life. You prepared it and then invited us. And so, Lord, now will you help us to listen to you of your law and of your grace and of your gracious invitation. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we have uh, for some months now, when we have communion, been uh, using... The Ten Commandments, uh, the law, uh, in preparation for it, but we have looked at the law and grace. And in doing so, it, it brings us to the gospel every single time. It has to, it must. We are driven there when we see the guilt that we experience. Last time we talked about you shall not murder. And saw that, that according to Jesus' definition, we're all guilty. The answer is guilty. But for his people, it's forgiven. And then we're invited to the table. Now, in our day, if you talk about uh, adultery, and especially <clears throat> if you use a word like uh, fornication, it is likely outside of these walls at least, it's likely that you'll be ridiculed, you'll be made fun of. And and it may come something like this. Well, you're just old-fashioned. You're not up to date. You're not up to speed with the way the world is today. Anybody ever heard that? You're old-fashioned? Let me suggest that in, in those terms, in terms of what God has said, that the next time somebody says, uh, and certainly in this area, well, you're just old-fashioned, I would suggest you'd say, yes, it's old. No, it's, this isn't just old-fashioned. This is Ancient. But the fact that it's ancient 
doesn't make it untrue. It is ancient truth that we are talking about. This is God's way He has laid out for us. For our best. For our happiness. For the happiness of mankind, even those that are not His people. Now, there's no question in our day that between reality TV and the Grammys and romance novels and Hollywood, and you could expand that list on and on, they are trying to convince us And convince our children that that's out of date. That's not true anymore. What are you talking about when it comes to this area? But all of those does not change the ancient truth that God has given to us. And so we've got to to decide... Who are we going to listen to? And this is going to sound ridiculous when, when, you, when you put them over and against one another. Who are we going to listen to? Are we going to listen to uh, reality TV, <laughs> the Grammys, Hollywood, romance novels, internet pornography, your friends, your own lust? Are you going to listen to those or the creator of the universe that sent his one and only son to die on the cross? And on that cross, death was crushed to death for us. Who are we going to listen to? Well, let's listen to where it began. It's ancient because we go clear back to the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 2, it says this, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And there marriage is instituted. It is what we call a creation ordinance. Now what that means is that, that God gave it, He gave it for uh, mankind. It's for our good. It is what is best. And what we see is that at that point, man was still in his state of integrity. It was before sin came into the world. And so that verse gives the essence of marriage. One man and one woman. Did you hear that? One man, one woman committed to one another in a union that is first spiritual and second physical. And that union cannot be broken without consequence. That's what it tells us. And then we see Jesus Speaking the same. We see Paul 
in Ephesians saying this, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. It's a direct quote from the book of Genesis showing this is still in force. This is not ancient. This is not old. It's not abrogated. It's, you know, it's still in force. But then he says this, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. We'll talk about later. So, with that as the backdrop, in the law, God said you shall not commit adultery. In terms of the word adultery or fornication, um, they are different words, both in the Hebrew and the Greek. There are different words for adultery and fornication. Uh, the word for fornication in the New Testament, uh, and I, I say it only because it's, it's similar to our English word, is pornea, pornography. That's where we get that. And that takes in all kinds of sexual perversions, those which are not the way God intended them to be. And although there are different words, that, that they are different words, adultery and fornication, and adultery is forbidden in the Ten Commandments, make no mistake about it. The fact that uh, the word for adultery is used does not limit it down to just applying to someone who's married and what they do. That would very much limit uh, that commandment to only part of mankind and a certain age and so on. It includes that, but it also includes any kind of sexual activity that's outside of marriage. So, you know, if you were wanting to be a Pharisee and um, saying, well, you know, technically uh, we haven't... Anytime you do air quotes about something that you have done, you're probably trying to justify some sin. And so if you're, you're wanting to say, well, technically, because we're not married, that, you know, this, this is probably okay, and we hear that kind of thing all the time, you're kidding yourself. In Calvin's commentaries, uh, what he does with the first five books of the the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, is that rather than having one book after another, there's a harmony of those those books. And what a, what a harmony is is that they will, uh, when there's repetition between books, uh, like the Gospels or the Pentateuch, they will take those and they'll put verses and passages next to each other that all pertain to the same thing. And so if you look in, in uh, Calvin's commentaries and he's talking about uh, uh, the Ten Commandments and he gets to you shall not commit adultery. The parallel with that is in Deuteronomy 5, you have the law. But then there are passages elsewhere in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy all pertaining to that, all explaining what that means in terms of the various kinds of uh, things that are forbidden outside of what God has commanded. So let's take a look at it. First of all, the the most obvious way, uh, thing that is forbidden is physical adultery. Now, 
if you're a thinking person at some point, you're probably going to say, you know what? I was reading my one-year Bible or every time I read in the Old Testament and I come across something like, well, you know, this one had several wives. How's that fit with what we call polygamy? Or you see a custom where, um, you know, Sarah gives her handmaiden to Abraham because they weren't able to conceive and so on. And you're saying, wait a minute. How does that fit with uh, God saying it's wrong to commit adultery or, or anything between a husband and wife? Where does that fit? Well, here's, we don't have a time to do a, a full treatment of that, but let me just say very quickly, look, uh, the Bible's very honest. And it recorded what happened. It didn't cover up things that are hard to explain. And so here you have uh, the custom of the day would be those things that I mentioned, to have more than one wife and, and that kind of a thing. But nowhere will you see it being endorsed. Nowhere will you see God saying, yes, and we, we bless, you know, all these this stuff you're doing here. In fact, what you see is this. You see, every time something other than a man and a woman in the context of marriage, every time you see the pain, the havoc that it wreaks, you see the difficulties that come from that, and especially for the women involved. You see it again and again. But look, it's not limited to the women. You see the men whose eyes are taken away from God because they have violated this principle that God has given. And so it it shows what happens when that ordinance is, is violated and the dangers of it. Now, I mentioned going the Pharisee route. By the way... Um, I understand the Pharisee route, you know, when we're, when we're thinking about our sin. Because as one Miller said, you know, we're either all, we're either a Pharisee or a recovering Pharisee, okay? So you're in one of those two categories. Because that's our tendency, isn't it? To say, okay, well, you know, we're, where's this line? Um, so if you're trying to figure out the line, okay, all right, adultery, oh, so now you're saying it's more than just for husbands and wives. And so if you're one of those that is trying to be the Pharisee and say, okay, well, have we stepped over the line yet? Let's go right up to the line, but try not to step over that. In other words, you're saying, let's see what we can get away with. If that's the case, you need to remember, Pharisees, that Jesus said, unless you exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees, you won't see the kingdom. So he's not saying just, you know, be as good as a Pharisee. He said, you got you to go way beyond that. 
or you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 5.20. But in explaining that, he then talked about murder. And you remember last time we talked about how if you even have the anger, you call your, your, someone a fool, then you're guilty of murder. So we're all guilty. So here we read, after he says you've got to exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, He says, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone that looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And right here we have Jesus saying, look, do you get it? He's he's doing another turn on the vice. (laughs) You know, the vice is getting tighter. So you who want to go the Pharisee route, do you, do you get it here? He says, I'm telling you, you know, don't take pride because you haven't uh, done something illicit outside of marriage with, with another woman. If you even think about it. And he's saying, guilty. You're guilty. That's the verdict. And then he shows how serious it is. It's this serious. If, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. It's better to lose one of your members than your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. It's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go to hell. And by the way, that's illustrative. He's illustrating here. Because here's the problem, even with what, what uh, you know, if somebody says, well, okay, I guess that's the answer. And they want to, want to take it in the sense of pluck out my eye. Look, you can pluck out your eye. You can cut off your hand. And then you can pluck out, you got to do this in order, pluck out your other eye and then cut off your other hand. And have no hands and no eyes and still be guilty. See, that's the problem. Because what Jesus is saying here is it's a matter of the heart. It's not just something physical out there that that we can overcome. It's a heart issue. And what we need to understand is our hearts are are wicked without Christ. So you're saying, Pastor Weldon, that I can't look at someone of the opposite sex and appreciate beauty or handsomeness. Is that what you're saying? No, that's not what I'm saying. We need to always take the commandments all together and the commandment will come to, the the Tenth Commandment, forbids this, you shall not covet. But then it explains and says, covet your neighbor's wife. And that goes with the adultery, a matter of the heart. So here's what we need to understand. I've always liked the way Martin Luther uh, put it. He was pretty earthy. He said, uh, in terms of temptations, uh, he's alleged to have said anyway, 
you can't keep birds from flying over your head, but you can prevent them from building a nest in your hair. Now, you're going, what? What was Martin? <laughs> you know, here's what he was saying is, you know, let, let me translate it to adultery and fornication. He's basically saying, you know, you got to look somewhere. But it's what you do with that look that matters. And there's nothing wrong with appreciating beauty or handsomeness. It's when it moves over into the 10th commandment, coveting that, dreaming about a relationship that goes with that, even a lustful one. And so that's what he's talking about. You cannot stop from having tempting thoughts. It's what you do with them at that point. By the way, Jesus walked this earth. And he was a man, a real man. And so that's where his line was, obviously. Now, before we go to the table, though, there's one more step in understanding this. And that is that adultery is both an illustration of and a true violation of God himself. Uh, I put in the outline several pictures in the Old Testament that you can read uh, sometime from Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Hosea, and, and there are many others. And you'll find numerous places in the Old Testament where God's people are called adulterous. Now, it wasn't because of sexual perversion. It was they were adulterous toward him because they went and worshipped idols and other gods and because of their unfaithfulness to the true God. And he uses that term, adultery, adulterous, and even more harsh terms as well. If you read those, you'll see. So we need to understand that when when God set up the institution of marriage, it also illustrated the relationship between God and his people. So apostasy, unbelief, unfaithfulness to God is compared to adultery. And here's what happens, going back to what it said in Ephesians. When adultery takes place, the institution of marriage is destroyed. But it destroys something even bigger than that. I'm, I, I would never for a moment minimize how serious that is. But there is another part of adultery that makes it ugly. It is taking that which in its right context is beautiful and twisting it and making it ugly. And that is, it gives the wrong picture of our world, to our world, of the relationship of God to his people, his church. Remember what Paul said? This profound mystery is Christ and the church. 
And so when adultery takes, you know, when a marriage takes place, it's saying this is a picture of God's love for his people. And so when adultery takes place, it's shattering that picture. It's giving a wrong picture to the world, whether it's physical adultery, mental or emotional adultery. It cuts right at the heart of that which God has called sacred. Now, let me give you the other side of that. As we move to the table. And that is, what do we do when we have violated it? And we have. So what do we do? The amazing thing is that whether it is physical adultery or mental, mental adult or emotional adultery or adultery toward God, that when Jesus died on the cross for his people, to those he said, come to the table. You're invited to this table. It is a table for repentant adulterers. It is a table for those who are in unfaithful and yet repentant. It's a table for all who repent in Jesus Christ. Listen to the way that Paul put it. I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it. In remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, unworthy, unrepentant, will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. And so what do we do? Let a person examine himself then. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And so here's what he's saying. The table of perfection, no. Only the actual host here, the Lord Jesus, is the perfect one. Only the one who set this table for us originally by living that life, by facing the temptations we have talked about, but saying, no, I will not. And then because of that, was able to go to the cross to pay for the sin of those who would believe. 
And so we are invited, not in our name, not because of what we have done, but because of what he has done. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. There is no way, Lord, to express our gratitude except to accept your invitation to this table. Lord, will you help us to grapple? Will you help us to look deep, to be convicted where necessary, to repent, and then to come celebrating what you have done. Lord, will you take these elements, will you set them apart from their ordinary, everyday use and use them to grow us spiritually in you, to strengthen us spiritually in you by faith. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.